listening to The Revealer Podcast, where we explore how religion shapes our culture and our communities. Produced by the Center for Religion and Media at NYU and hosted by me, Dr. Brett Crutch. Each month, we sit down with experts to discuss the role religion plays in politics, in people's lives, and throughout our world. In today's show, we're discussing Black Lives Matter and Catholicism. What role has the Catholic Church played in upholding white supremacy in the United States? How can Black Lives Matter provide inspiration for the Church's leadership? And why must the Catholic Church confront issues of race and racism immediately? Hi, everyone. Welcome to a new season and the first episode in 2021 of The Revealer Podcast. We're thrilled you're joining us. I'm your host, Dr. Brett Crutch. I'm very happy to be joined today by Olga Segura. She is the author of one of The Revealer's most read articles in 2020 called Meet Father Brian Massingale, a Black Gay Catholic Priest Fighting for an Inclusive Church, which you can find in the June 2020 issue at therevealer.org. Olga has also authored a new book that comes out February 17th this year. It's called Birth of a Movement, Black Lives Matter and the Catholic Church. You can pre-order the book now. I was able to read an advanced copy and I highly recommend it. Hi, Olga. Thanks so much for chatting today. How are you doing? I'm good. Hi, Brett. Thank you so much for inviting me to be the first guest on the Revealers uh, podcast in 2021. And I didn't realize that that, the Brian Massingale profile was one of your most read pieces. Thank you again for giving me the the privilege to publish that. That piece had been rejected several times before it, <laughs> before you gave it a chance at the Revealer. So I, I really appreciate that. Oh, that's great. I know someone who's big in the New York writing scene who says, you know, that any rejection just means that it hasn't found the right home yet. So it's I think it's certainly provided a lot of inspiration for people this summer as Black Lives Matter protests were happening to see um, this, you know, black queer figure in the church who's been working with them for quite some time who should be getting national recognition. Right, right, right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. So let me just say that I thoroughly enjoyed reading your book that's about to come out. It has a great balance of insightful information about the history of Black Lives Matter and its founders, alongside some of your own personal stories as a person of faith and a person of color within the Catholic Church. So congratulations on a great accomplishment with your book. Thank you so much, Brett. Thank you. That means the world to hear that from you. Yes. So I'd like to start our conversation today rather broadly. I suspect that while some people are aware of the significant role religion played in the civil rights movement, many people seem to think that the Black Lives Matter movement has been mostly devoid of religion or of religious inspiration. So I'm curious to hear why you think that's the case. Why has religion been so often overlooked in discussions about Black Lives Matter? I think a lot of that has to do with the media. I know a lot of people are talking about the media's role in the past four years, especially, and in light of everything that's happened, that happened at the Capitol last week. But I think that religious media in particular, religious journalists, didn't really give this movement the attention that it really deserved. Hmm. You can look at all the major Christian Catholic publications, and that's going to be the context that I speak from because that's the world in which in which I, I live and work, etc. But you can look at all of the major Christian Catholic publications from, let's say, 2016 to 2019. How many articles were dedicated to Trump, 
the Trump supporter or mm-hmm. trying to understand how someone could be pro-life and vote for this man. Mm-hmm. And now how many articles were dedicated to the Black Lives Matter movement? How mm-hmm. many interviewed activists and Catholics who were present in Ferguson in the summer of 2014? How many articles have even explicitly mentioned Alicia Garza, Patrice Cullors, or Opal Tometi, the three Black founders? So I think a lot of that, a lot of the reason why people overlook religion when they're talking about the Black Lives Matter movement is because the media hasn't done the work of connecting those dots for people. Even Hmm. for myself, if I hadn't reported on this movement since 2014, if I hadn't written this book, I would also think that this movement is completely devoid of religion, completely devoid of any kind of connection to theology or even to Catholicism. And that's wrong because we know that Patrice Cullors and Opal Tometi grew up in Christian homes. We know that faith has informed their work, continues to inform their, what they describe as sort of searching for something more. And I think that the onus is really on the media here. I think that the media didn't give this movement the attention that it deserved because they saw three black women who Hmm. founded this movement, who organized and who inspired an entire generation of young kids, especially teenagers, people in their young 20s, who were coming of age and really found that this movement spoke to their face, spoke to their lived experiences. And so I think a lot of the blame has to be put on the media. I will say 2020, I was inspired to see a lot of people sort of finally catching up and finally saying, okay, we need to take this movement seriously. We need Mm -hmm. to connect the dots between our faith, between Christianity and this movement. But again, there's still years and years of work that we ignored. And so I think that that is why people just don't want to talk about religion in this movement. They don't want to think about what it can teach us about our faith, about all faiths. And so I think that a lot of it has to do, like I said, with the media and the very misogyny that was hurled, that continues to be hurled Mm -hmm. at these women. You know, I think people view anything that centers black female organizers as seemingly unworthy or seemingly inferior. I see this in the church with my own reporting. I see it in the hate mail that I continue to get even in the new year. Mm -hmm. And so I think that If we're going to start seeing this sort of gap between how we talk about religion, how we talk about what it means to be Christian and what it means to think about this movement, then it's really on people in religious media, especially to to sort of step up and to start doing that work, because I think that that is why people don't know how to talk about this movement. People Mm -hmm. don't know how to talk about what it can teach us about everything that Pope Francis is talking about. Right. So I think that the media has a lot of blame in this, but I, I do hope that with the transition to a president who's seemingly more plugged into his faith and living out a more faithful mm-hmm. life. I'm hoping that starts to change, but I think the media has a lot of work to do. Yes. And as you were talking, you know, there've been how many think pieces about why quote unquote religious people have supported Donald Trump mm-hmm. versus the religious lives in particular, as you said, of black women in America and how that motivates them politically as well. And without those conversations, then we're all stuck with a failed understanding of the religious racial landscape of American politics. Right, right, right. So you mentioned the the siege on the Capitol. So um, maybe that's a good place to pivot now. But I want to come back to talking about the Black women founders of Black Lives Matter. So we're having this conversation as we're learning more about the white nationalists who stormed the U.S. Capitol and the people who supported them. And many Americans witnessed white terrorists in action. But of course, neither white terrorism uh, nor white supremacy is new. So I'm wondering if you could share with us 
What role would you say the Catholic Church has played in upholding white supremacy in this country? Yeah, I think that's a, a really, really important question to that people all across the country need to be asking at this moment. I think that the church has played a very, very crucial role in upholding white supremacy in this country. We know, thanks to the wonderful scholarship of historian Shannon G. Williams, we know that the church played a very explicit role in the introduction of chattel slavery into the United States. We know that the church had documents that were used to justify chattel slavery. We know that even after abolition, the church continued to be extremely segregated. Schools were segregated, parishes were segregated, black and brown women were not even allowed to join religious orders. And we know that throughout the American church's history, our bishops, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, have only released four statements on racism. One was 1979, and the first one after that was in 2018 with the wow. publication of Open Wide Our Hearts. And so we know that the church throughout its entire history, like every other institution in the United States, has been shaped by this very real white supremacy and white violence that has been a part of this nation since the first colonizers arrived on native lands. And even as recently as 2020, we saw just how willing Catholic leaders, and by Catholic leaders, I'm always explicitly talking about the bishops, we saw how willing they were to cozy up to power. We saw the reaction when Donald Trump in January of last year attended the March for Life. We saw Dolan and Gomez, Gomez is the president of the USCCB. We saw them meet with Trump in either May or June. My dates are kind of all over mm -hmm. the place at this point, but we saw that we saw that they met with Trump. We saw that countless individual bishops have supported this man, have supported harmful rhetoric against the Black Lives Matter movement. And we continue to see that there is a collective silence when it comes to them opining on this movement, when it comes to them actually engaging with the topics that Black and Brown people are telling them to care about. And so historically, the church has not only upheld white supremacy in this country, but it continues to perpetuate it because as Shannon D. Williams brilliantly reminds us on social media, silence is complicity and complicity in this regard is violence because if black and brown people are literally terrified, especially following the events at the Capitol, which by the way, were not surprising to any black or brown, indigenous, <laughs> Asian American, any person of color was not surprised by that violence. And even in light of that, the bishops still cannot collectively get together and tell us what we need to hear. And so not only historically, they continue to perpetuate the very real violent whiteness that is associated mm. with our church. And can you say a bit about what you think is at stake here for the Catholic Church if they remain silent? I mean, you make a good case in the book that the church needs to become involved with the Black Lives Matter movement and its founders. So I'm curious if you have a sense of what you think might happen should the Catholic Church remain silent on these issues, and if they just continue down a path of avoiding dealing with the racial dynamics in the country and the pleas of Black Lives Matter movement people. Well, first, I think that what is at stake for them is the future of the American Catholic Church. In recent years, a lot of really wonderful reporters who are much more eloquent at talking about the vast numbers of people leaving the church mm. have been pointing out people are leaving the Catholic Church in mass in masses. People are no longer, and this is obviously pre-pandemic, the pandemic has changed everything, but before the pandemic, people, mass numbers were going down. People were not... Um, taking the sacraments, people were no longer being called to convert to this faith. And 
the church loves to talk about how Latinos are the future of the church, that this is the mm -hmm. community that we have to care about. But if you really believe this, then you need to be explicit and align yourself with this movement. And again, I want them to care about the Black Lives Matter movement and opine on this movement and enter into dialogue with all the women. But if they come out tomorrow with their own version of this, that will be wonderful as well. I just think that one, for the future of their church, they need to actually align themselves with racial justice efforts because frankly, they don't know what they're doing. We're talking mm. about a body of mostly white men over 50 or 60 who are not plugged into the zeitgeist, right? They don't know mm -hmm. what we're talking about on Twitter. They might not know what late Catholics are talking about. So I think that for the future of their church, they need to align themselves with this movement. But again, I keep I keep pointing back to what happened at the Capitol. But last week in particular, for a lot of people who are not in the church, Christianity became inextricably aligned with white nationalism. Mm -hmm. And unless our bishops and our leaders come out publicly and very forcefully against this and very much align themselves with racial justice efforts, then this is just going to be another blemish that is associated with our church in the same way that the second round of clerical abuse is mm -hmm. used to define our church and to define what it means to be Catholic. And I honestly think that if the church doesn't do this work now, there will be no American Catholic church in the next 50 years because most of us will have left. The very people that they keep saying are going to save the church are going to be the first people who leave because we don't feel that they care about us, that our leadership cares about us. So that's why I think it's so urgent and why I love to, one, I love to criticize bishops because I just love criticizing <laughs> bishops. But two, I, I really do believe that they need to be challenged because our institutional church is at stake. And I want to be very clear about the institutional church and how we collectively worship together and just be in community in the United States. I think that I think that this is really what's at stake here. Yeah. And one of the powerful things about your book is that you're writing as a person who grew up in the church. You know, you have something at stake here and mm -hmm. you're not just critiquing, but you, you suggest that there are models forward. And I think one of the things that I found especially powerful were the ways in which you described the book as a sort of love letter to the black women who started Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. And you write that the Black Lives Matter women leaders are better examples of Christian leadership than these predominantly white male leaders of the Roman Catholic Church. Could you talk a bit about that? Of course, of course. Oh my God, hearing you say that question, I was like, oh wow, I really did say that in that book. I'm sure the <laughs> trolls will, will have a field day when, when they see that one next month. Um, but what I mean by that is, again, you, you mentioned sort of the personal aspect of this book. When I began reporting on this movement, I was at a very specific point in my faith life where I was thinking of leaving the Catholic Church because I graduated from Fordham and left one white Jesuit space <laughs> and entered another white Jesuit space. And so the Catholicism that I was seeing, the public forms of Catholicism that I was seeing were very centered in this Irish Catholicism that didn't speak to me. And so I was becoming really, really uncomfortable with being in this church that seemed very unwilling to actually make room for women like me and to make room for experiences like mine. And so I began reporting on this movement and engaging with the work of Colors, Garza, Tometi, and learning about other activists more broadly who have adopted the Black Lives Matter mission in their own way really helped me to reshift my thinking and to understand that the problem wasn't with the faith that has really fulfilled me and my family since we've arrived in this country. The problem was with the institutional church. And so it became less oh, here are these men who are the only people who can show us what it means to be hmm. in church, what it means to be Christian leaders. And it became, oh, no, 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 I'm a Christ follower. And the number one thing that I'm here to do is to learn what it means to fight 
the way that Christ told us to fight, the way that Christ told us to care about the vulnerable, the most marginalized, etc., as Pope Francis mm-hmm. also often likes mm-hmm. to repeat. And here were these women who were showing me how to do that, who were challenging me to not leave the church, but to try to make it better, to try to make it, as Brian Massingale wonderfully says, to try to help the church catch up to the actual vision of God. And I think that these women, they're doing that work. They're fighting for the incarcerated. They're fighting for victims of police brutality. They're urging people to go out and vote. And this is not a perfect movement because nothing that is man-made is perfect, Mm -hmm. but it really, really challenges me and also challenges a whole generation of people who are in their early 20s. That's where I was when I started reporting on this movement. It really challenged me to say, hey, I don't need to wait for institutions to explain to me how to do this change. I don't need to Mm -hmm. wait for institutions to define what it means for me to be Catholic. I can do that myself. And up until that point, it felt as if I didn't have permission to do that. And these women really challenged me to step outside of the white Catholicism I was in, but they also helped me to actually think about what it meant to be a Christian leader. I can't even begin to to explain how the book has changed the way I relate to capitalism, the way I relate mm. to sustainability, the way I relate to even giving in 2020. I didn't start giving to like organizers or institutions fully until 2020. And I did this because this is what these women taught me. These women taught me what it means to be in community with other people and to fight for liberation, even when you yourself are marginalized. And so they they keep me in this church. They show me hmm. that even though the church is very white and doesn't look like me, it should. And their work and the way that they challenge me and women like me are the ways to to push the church to go where it needs to. I mean, that's such a powerful statement that it's the the women leaders of Black Lives Matter that are keeping you involved in the church's activities and giving you a vision of how you think it can and should be. Mm-hmm. You say in the book, I'm going to quote you here, that Black Lives Matter is a secular version of our Catholic social teaching. And I'm wondering if you could explain what you mean by that. How does Black Lives Matter function as a secular version of Catholic social teaching? I assume it means some of the things that you just said about fighting for equality, um, looking to see what are creating the conditions that there is oppression and going to those places. Um, Is that what you're getting at? Or could you maybe explain more about how you see Black Lives Matter as a secular version of Catholic social teaching? Sure, sure. I think you're absolutely right. I touched on it a little bit in in my previous answer, but sort of to, to flush it out some more, there are seven themes of Catholic social teaching, right? So we have life and dignity of the human person. We know that we are called to be in community with each other. We're called to create families, to be in participation with each other. We're called to care about the poor and the vulnerable. We're called to care about workers' rights and the dignity of workers. Hmm. And the women in the Black Lives Matter movement, Colors, Garza, Tometi, really helped me to think more deeply about Catholic social teaching and the seven themes that the USCCB promotes about Catholic social teaching. So for most of my life, I have always heard that we have to care about workers' rights. We have to care about the poor, the vulnerable. We have to care about human dignity. But it wasn't until I sat with this movement and wrote this book and really had to sit with what it means to live in a capitalist society, what it means to be in a pandemic where people are dying and being fired, but rich men like Jeff Bezos were allowed to make money. And so this movement really pushed me to step outside of the very sort of liberal understanding that I had about what these things meant and what it meant to be, what it meant to fight for workers' rights and what it meant to center the vulnerable. And it really helped me shift from 
a liberal understanding of these themes, a liberal Catholic understanding to one that was shaped in anti-capitalism work. And I think that that is the number one thing that this movement really, really helped me to understand. There can be no world in which the poor and vulnerable are centered or where workers' rights are prioritized in a capitalist society that is built on inequality, on income inequality. And that was something that I wouldn't have even felt comfortable saying six years ago. And being able to sit with the work that these women were doing and the rhetoric that they were using too on their website, they had very, very accessible language that made me say, okay, I might not understand capitalism as a philosophical political mm-hmm. theory, but I understand that capitalism is a system in which a lot of people are suffering. And what does it mean to actively work to liberate us from that system at the local level, at the national level? And so they really gave me the blueprint to actually do that work. They gave me the blueprint to, in my own personal life, and not just in my writing, because they clearly inform my writing, but also in my own personal life, it made me realize that to be a Catholic meant that you had to do this anti-capitalist work, meant that you had to talk about abolition, meant that you had to talk about income inequality and all these other issues that were very, very real in the middle of a global pandemic that was that has killed thousands in this country. And so I think that that is why I'm so adamant about saying that it's just the secular version of Catholic social teaching, because if you look at their mission statement, if you look at the individual resumes of each of these women, they are doing the work that our church wants us to do. They're fighting for workers' rights. They're fighting for the incarcerated. They're fighting to fundraise even during the pandemic. Like they're doing all of these things that we're called to do. And so that's why I believe that they are a secular version of Catholic social teaching. That's great and very helpful. And as you were speaking, I mean, the the idea of racial capitalism comes through as, as a key theme in your book, actually. And I'd love to just hear a bit more, I think, to paraphrase what you just said, you know, that it's central to Catholicism to critique capitalism. I think that might be a new idea for some listeners. So could you explain just a bit more about what you mean by racial capitalism and why you believe it's so central to working for racial equality and justice? Sure, sure. So it's this concept that was created by Cedric Robinson, who was a professor of political science. He taught at, I believe, the University of California. And the idea of racial capitalism just describes how capitalism as an economic system is dependent on the inequality that happens Mm -hmm. between different people all across the world. And in the United States specifically, we know that inequality is often based upon racial lines. And we know mm-hmm. that we know that capitalism in the United States was born from the selling, exploitation, and murder of actual black and brown bodies. Mm-hmm. And chattel slavery built every industry that we know in this country from Wall Street, insurance, education, healthcare, etc. And so racial capitalism just defines how this system's focus on overconsumption, on profit over people, is explicitly rooted in the profiting off of black and brown bodies and the profiting of racialized communities. Because we know in the United States that black and brown communities are some of the most marginalized because that is the history of the United States. And so racial capitalism describes the very process by which capitalism extracts value from people. Mm -hmm. So I, I hope that that kind of explained it a bit. 
Yes, definitely. Thank you. So one topic that became especially prominent as you, I'm sure, were writing the book or finishing writing the book during the Black Lives Matter marches of 2020 was the issue of defunding the police. And Mm -hmm. you do touch on it. And I'm wondering if you could describe for us the Catholic case for abolition and and how a model for uh, thinking about the police and policing differently from a Catholic perspective. Sure, sure. So the book had an outline in 2000, I want to say 2019. So I had a, I had a very specific outline in, in mind for this book. And again, I was still very much a liberal Catholic and I didn't want to engage with abolition because I didn't, I didn't believe it. Uh, I knew that police brutality was an issue and I knew that the police had to be reformed. And I was still very much working within, within that framework. And then May happened and George Floyd was murdered. And in the middle of, this pandemic that was disproportionately killing black and latino americans in the middle of all of this tragedy that we were already seeing law enforcement were still brutally murdering black and brown people all across the country and there was a shift in me where i realized oh okay this system cannot be reformed it just needs to be abolished because as a catholic how can i exist in a society where there are people who are incarcerated, where there are people who are placed into solitary confinement, where there are people who are executed by the government. And so for Catholics especially, we believe that everyone is redeemable. We believe that everyone has a place in society. Everyone has a place in God's kingdom. And so to know that we exist in a society that incarcerates people, that removes them from society, that doesn't give them a chance at rehabilitation, that just seems completely contradictory to the faith that we know. For me, the case for abolition as a Catholic and for all Catholics who are engaging with this book is that there could be no freedom for any of us if one of us is incarcerated. And so that is just the case that I make for abolition. We are not free if there are thousands and thousands Mm -hmm. of men and women, children incarcerated from federal prisons all the way to detention centers at the border, right? And so, For me, my faith and what I believe the Catholic faith to be is to create a world that's truly Christ-centered, then we cannot exist in a world where prisons are allowed to exist, you know? And I think Mm -hmm. as Catholics, we cannot live in a society where we call ourselves pro-life while there are also people incarcerated, especially in a pandemic, especially following the violence of last week. And so I think that the framework for the Catholic case for abolition is just that this is what Christ calls us to do. If we are really people who are rooted in the gospel, then this means that we don't incarcerate people. We don't kill people on death row. We allow people the chance to be rehabilitated and redeemed in the society which they come from, right? And this is something that Pope Francis is extremely, extremely powerful on. We have created a culture where we are a throwaway society. And I think that as Catholics, we often don't realize that we are also throwing the incarcerated away. And so we need to abolish the whole system from prisons all the way to to law enforcement. And I think that it is the most Catholic thing that we can do to align ourselves with this movement. Great. Well, thank you so much for this very important information. And I, I really appreciate the conversation and all of the work that you are doing and um, I'm, I'm very excited for your, your book to be out in the world very soon. So that is all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank our guest, Olga Segura, and our production editor, Anna Donge. You can pre-order Olga's book, Birth of a Movement, Black Lives Matter and the Catholic Church Now. 
And you can find her excellent article about the black gay Catholic priest, Father Brian Massingale, in The Revealer's June 2020 issue at therevealer.org. I'm Brett Crutch. I hope you'll join us for our next episode next month, where we'll be discussing issues of gender and sexuality in present-day Mormon communities. In the meantime, I hope you stay safe and healthy. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Revealer Podcast with music by Kevin McLeod and production editing by Anna Donch. If you want to get in touch with us, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at therevealerpodcast at gmail.com and check us out at therevealer.org.